When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, and welcome back to Fetch, Chase, Eat, Sleep, Repeat. We are the podcasting duo from teamdogs.co.uk who take a sideways look at how to thrive with the puppies in our lives. I'm Hannah Jones. And I'm Karen Price. Every week, me and Han give you updates about our new lives as puppy parents. I tell you all about my gorgeous Springer Spaniel Suggs. And I share tall tales about my tiny little terror, Cockapoo Grin. Or, as I like to christen him, Jaws. We also receive top tips from our marvellous guests, from the Queen of the Ballroom to the Queen of the Cobbles, from the most popular vets to our favourite farmers. So sit down or plug us in for your walkies for more dog hair covered tales from the world of new puppy parenting in fetch chase eat sleep repeat like poo bags you should never leave home without us fetch chase eat sleep repeat brought to you by pooch and mutt the health food company for dogs Never guess where I had to take Bryn the other day. Oh, let me guess, Han. Um, actually, I can't guess. Go on, you're going to have to tell me. Begins with a V. Oh, now I can guess. The vets. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, everything was fine, working, he was prancing about. Next thing I know, the husband comes in going, oh my God, get off the phone. Now there's something wrong with the dog. I'm on this really important phone call. Not to brag my part up, but frankly, one of the big bosses is on it, right? I'm on this really big phone call and the husband is by the side of me like doing a Lionel Blair impression, trying to like mime out the dog's not well with his hands and mime him and I don't know if I'm coming or going. Anyway, the dog's lying on the settee. His leg, one of them touches legs and he's shaking. I can't touch him. He's barking at me. I don't know what to do with myself. So, Trying to get an appointment to the vets was like trying to get your ear cut during lockdown. You just couldn't do it anywhere. Six hours later, I'm in the vets. And do you know when you go to the doctors, right, and you or the dentist, and you have a bad tooth before you go? I'm like, five minutes before, you're like, why am I even phoned? I'm like, right, this rain. He was like that. It was like if I was a liar. I, I was faking. He was absolutely fine. So I'm really sorry, vet. I said, I'm really sorry. He's all right now, but he was really, he was really ill earlier. So what was the verdict? Nothing wrong with him, car. But... Get this. So, you know, she did like the old thermometer in the, you know, in the backside. She had a look in his ears and all that kind of stuff. And she said, oh, talk to me about a typical day. And I said, well, after his hour walk, she went, let me stop you there now. Oh, is that dog? I went, five months. 
How long are you walking in for? I thought, oh, right, now, quick. What does she want you to say? You don't want to be caught out, so you don't want to lie or you don't want to underplay it. She don't want you to think that you're a bad mother. And I go, um, about an hour, thinking it's not an hour, because frankly, I can't walk for an hour. She says, you are over-exercising your dog. And I'm like, what? I felt awful. I can't be. I thought, I've never, as someone who was born fat, I've never been accused of over-exercising, Karen. She said to me, you want to do half hour a day maximum, two stints, right? Something like that. I was going to say, so what, half an hour once a day or twice a day? wasn't quite following because I was nearly sobbing at this point, but I think she said you could do two lots of half an hour for his age, but no more than that. And she said, do you let him off the lead? I went, well, yeah. Don't let him off the lead. I thought, oh my God, a life. I was going to go, I thought she was going to send me to prison or something. So don't let him off the lead. Get one of those long leads, those retractable things. And he can only go out maximum half hour at a time. I was distraught. Like I had brought this on the puppy. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. We go out, our puppy is eight months now and he goes out three times a day. Morning, lunchtime and evening. And he probably does a quick walk in the morning. And I walk him lunchtime, so it's only like half hour, less than that. And he goes longer in the in the evening. But I mean, he's a Springer Spaniel, so he needs to get out there. And as soon as he comes back, he wants to go again. So, you know, I, I tend to think, well, I know you can't over-exercise them because of their, their little limbs or whatever. So they can't have too much walking, apparently. I, I was told that because they, their limbs haven't grown properly. But like you, you know... I, I'm full of anxiety about whether I walk him too much. And the worst for me is the food. Well, I sent a video to the breeder the other week. And then a few days later, I messaged her saying, oh, my God, all Suggs wants to do is eat. And I said, we put down kibble, you know, sort of three times a day. We give him extra than is, is measured, you know, than it says on the recommendations. And she said, oh, well, I did think he looked a bit ribby in the video I sent you. <gasps> what? Because I was like, oh my, yeah, so I'm then worrying that I'm not feeding my dog properly, that he's starving. She basically said to me, because he does get a lot of exercise because of the type of dog he is, and that's what he needs. She said, you know, he, he just give him loads more food. She said, honestly, don't worry about what they say on the recommendation because he, they don't take into account the exercising. But like you, Han, I was a really, really you know, worried parent thinking, what have I done? You know, it's like somebody telling you that you were starving your baby or something. Awful. Some people listening to this, Karen who know us, they might actually be thinking to themselves, thank God those pay don't have kids. What are the most common puppy problems you get people asking you about? I mean, for me, it's trying to stop my puppy eating everything. You know, like the other day, he picked up a dead fish. And again, you kind of go, oh, my God, is it going to poison him or, or something? And you'll be eating like bird seeds or cow droppings or whatever. So, you know, we're sort of concerned about that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the puppy problems that people come are concerned about are behavioural ones, without doubt. And obviously, as vets, we're not behaviourists. So our, our first thing we'd always say is, you know, well, hopefully it would be, you know, go and see a behaviorist or get a consultation with a behaviorist and there's some phenomenal ones around and you know these days um especially in the last year or so there's you can do it on zoom you don't need to meet the behaviorist as such um so you know eating poo and as you say eating things that you don't really want them to um can all be sorted out and obviously the earlier the better while they're in that growth development um phase so you know often it's it's distraction often it's using a long line um, but there's all sorts of techniques that, that behaviorists will use to, you know, I think it's, you know, even make, 
make that reward better than the one that they're going for. It's, it's almost like a, a displacement. So I'm definitely not a behavioural expert. I wish I was, but my, my, my advice would always be to seek a behaviourist because that's the sort of thing you want to get nailed, you know, really early on. And, and also, you know, recall and, and getting your dog to drop stuff. You know, I've seen so many people that, you know, as soon as the dog has eaten something, they're struggling to get out of their mouth. And that's, again, something that you can train from a very early age for a dog to, to let you go in their mouth and take it out. So there's a lot we can do. Obviously, it's, it's different with every dog, every breed. Um, the, the background of the dog also will influence that. Um, but definitely get professional help with anything behavioural would be my, always be my advice. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, so both Hannah and me came into puppy parenthood during the pandemic. Did you find that a lot of people thought you could catch COVID-19 from, from them? There was a lot of talk. It was a few times. It wasn't that often, but it was a few times that there was scaremongering going on in the press that you could catch COVID from your dog. Um, it, the, the dog is a surface like any other surface, like a door handle. So that was really, I think the technical word is a fomite, but um, that was really the only scenario where you could kind of catch it from your dog uh, as a sort of secondary way. And, and sadly, sadly, it grabbed headlines and it, it caused scaremongering. And, you know, oh my God, people were saying I have to put my dog to sleep or give it up. And it was like, it was so unnecessary. Um, as a lot of things were back then in terms of headline grabbing and, and just this shock tactics that the media were using. And I did feel sorry for the dogs and dog owners, of course, at that time, because it was, it was, it was just seeing, it was just another thing for, for people to get angry and upset and scared about, um, not just catching COVID, but also obviously the thought of having to put their dog to sleep. So you, you, you could, you could technically catch it as a, as a moving surface, as you would catch it from any other surface. If you're washing your hands and you're doing everything else that you're meant to be doing, they're no risk whatsoever. I wanted to talk now about the book, Lucy's Law, How a Little Dog Changed the World. So how did you hear about the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel called Lucy? And can um, you explain a little bit about the legislation in her name as well? I would be delighted to. Um, well, first of all, <laughs> First of all, um, <laughs> Lucy's Law, the book, um, is published by Mirror Books. And the reason I approached Mirror Books is because the Mirror were very generous in being the media partner for the Lucy's Law campaign. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the Mirror, especially Andrew Penman, who's the investi investigative journalist. Um, and we worked together for a long, long time, and he was absolutely fantastic. So that's the, the connection with the Mirror, which I'm incredibly proud and grateful for. Um, how I met Lucy. So, so I'd already started campaigning from 2009 when I saw some puppies coming into my practice suffering from a disease called parvovirus, which is just horrific, probably the worst disease puppies can get. And it's usually affects puppies that are com coming from, um, uh, let's say, breeders with poor husbandry. So puppy farms, for example. And puppy farms are sort of large commercial producing um, buildings stuffed full of breeding dogs uh, who prioritize uh, profit over welfare. So kind of battery farming of dogs happens in, in this country, happens in, in other countries, happens all around the world. Um, it's basically mass producing puppies um, for maximum profit. And um, anyway, so these puppies that came into my practice and uh, eight of them came in, which is really rare to have eight parvo puppies coming in. Six made it, two sadly didn't. 
Um, but then I kind of, it, it didn't sit well with me and, and I took it one step further and I went kind of undercover to find out where these puppies were coming from. And it was a local, what we call a third party dealer, equivalent of a pet shop. He was operating out of a, a like a stable block in a field, but he was licensed. It was legal. Um, and he was buying these puppies in from a licensed legal puppy farm in Wales. Um, and I just thought this isn't right. You know, it's the worst start in life for, for a tiny little animal, which is destined to be a family pet. These people are making an absolute fortune. And the more I researched into it, the more I discovered that these breeding dogs were kept in these dark barns, you know, mated every season. So twice a year, their puppies were removed too early. They were sent all around the country, sometimes even abroad, sold via pet shops and other third party dealers. And I just thought this isn't right. And I, of course, I had no idea about campaigning or politics or law. Um, so all I could do at the time, because I was a, a TV vet, well, I was a normal vet, obviously, but I was on telly, some Paul O'Grady show and another, a few other shows, was to um, start up a, a celebrity judge dog show called Pup Aid, uh, which had uh, obviously like the silly categories, not like, like a posh dog show, like Child's Best Friend and Waggiest Tale and all that sort of stuff. But I had celebrities and well-known personalities judging and it started in Brighton where I live and then I eventually I moved to London. And that's all I knew about how to raise awareness and change public behaviour. And all I wanted was the public to realise, A, what puppy farming was, so that was the, the raising awareness bit. But the call to action if you're getting a dog, if you're choosing a dog, is to either go to the breeder directly and see the puppy interacting with its mum in the place it was born or go to a rescue shelter, and, and those being the only options. So I did the dog show for a few years, and then I realised that it, it was it was helpful, but it wasn't ever going to change the British public. Um, so then I started to go to Westminster, and it was Caroline Lucas, who's the Green MP for near where I live in Brighton, invited me up to Westminster, um, and I just advised her family to get a dog, and they got a rescue dog, Rescue Labrador. And I did my first e-petition, and uh, I, I was on... I, I was dipping my toe really in Westminster and I had no idea about Westminster. The closest I'd come to politicians or knowing what they kind of did was watching Spitting Image growing up, um, sitting on my dad's lap on a Sunday night. Um, so this was totally like green to me in terms of uh, inexperience, not politically. Um, so I, I started campaigning and lobbying, um, did the petitions, started to meet more MPs every every day off I had from vetting. So every Tuesday I'd go up to Westminster and I'd meet MPs and, and talk about the campaign and, and get more and more people on board. Um, in, and then we got to a point where we had a select committee inquiry, which is a group of 10 MPs who scrutinize existing legislation and then make recommendations. And we provided so much evidence and the campaign was to ban third party sales of puppies and kittens. So it meant that everyone had to deal with the breeder or go to rescue. Um, and we got to a point, I think it was in 2017, um, where we were up against uh, the government, we were up against the pet industry, and we were up against four of the biggest animal welfare organisations in the UK. And they were all refusing to support the campaign to, um, to ban third party dealers and sellers. So with regard to Lucy and where I met her, one of the dog shows in London, uh, all of a sudden I saw this lovely girl holding this beautiful tiny Cavalier King Charles Spaniel and one of the features of Pup Aid of the dog show was to have the parade of ex-breeding dogs so breed, dogs that have been rescued from puppy farms 
So all of a sudden there's, you know, there's French Bulldogs and there's Chihuahuas and there's beautiful cockapoos everywhere with lovely collars, especially in Primrose Hill where we moved it to. And all of a sudden you have dogs coming out with their owners who are scared. They've got broken teeth. They've got cesarean scars. They've got mammary glands dragging on the ground. Some of them had to be carried. They were either so scared or so frail. And that was the evidence. And there'd be silence. There'd be people crying. And it was like, this is what we're here for. That was the awareness part of it. And one of those dogs was Lucy and she was being carried by Lisa Garner. Uh, and we became amazing friends, still amazing friends. And I didn't realize that Lucy was rescued from a licensed legal puppy farm in Wales. But Lisa, this is a, an absolute, um, br- uh, uh, what would you call it? Um, uh, an incredible sort of feat of uh, doing, uh, doing something with minimal resources. So she created Lucy the Rescue Cavalier Facebook page. And Lucy the Rescue Cavalier Facebook page was pictures of Lucy every single day, either uh, with a, in a celebrity's arms at an event or doing something fun or just her personal little videos. And she created almost like the first real doggy social media superstar. And you can go to the page now, Lucy the Rescue Cavalier on Facebook. I think there's about 80,000 likes. And you can still go through all the pages and see. And um, I just thought what an incredible way of... of of raising awareness about not just rescue dogs, but also puppy farming with minimal resources. That's, that's Mm -hmm. what excites me so much is what everyone can do and has the capacity to do and and not have the resources say financially to do it. So uh, we became good mates. And then this meeting in 2017, we were up again after the select committee inquiry had recommended to the government to ban third party sales. Um, The government turned around and went, no, we're not going to do it. And that was even after some of the members of the select committee had gone to Wales, gone to a, reg- a licensed legal puppy farm and seen the conditions and come back and said, you have to make all, this, all these breeders accountable and transparent. And the government turned around and went, nah, we're not going to do it. So it was the lowest point of our campaign to ban third party sales. Lucy had sadly just passed away a couple of months beforehand. And there's been this massive outpouring of grief online about her her you know she's only she was five when she was rescued she lived another three years she had arthritis separation anxiety she had um epilepsy she had dry eye she was tiny you know she was she had all these health problems but she was the most funniest bravest um amazing company to be around she was such a personality she trusted humans after all that she'd been through and i thought okay we've hit a massive brick wall here um, about the, the campaign to ban third-party uh, puppy dealers. Lucy's just passed away. Let's rebrand the campaign Lucy's Law. And with that, it took on a whole new level. It became personal. Uh, it was a, a, a fantastic alliteration for a hashtag. The, the mirror got involved, thankfully. And, and all of a sudden, we had this really personal campaign that was uh, had a, a most beautiful backstory. And people kind of... They really embraced it. I mean, celebrity support, uh, cross-party MP support, chari- most charities, not the ones that were trying to, uh, that refused to support us. But um, and, and it took on a whole new energy. And at the time, then I also set up what's called an APPG, so an all-party parliamentary group in Westminster for dog welfare. Uh, and that helped make progress as well. And then in um, I think 2018, we were given a garden party at number 10 Downing Street uh, to celebrate the announcement that Lucy's Law was going to happen. Um, 2019, it actually became law. And 2020, in April, 
uh, it was enforceable law. And that, what that means, going back to your original question, uh, is that in England, um, it's illegal to sell uh, a puppy unless you can see it interacting with its mum in the place it was born. And now it's also law from September in Wales and Scotland. It's being written in, in Northern Ireland. Uh, and it means that Lucy has really prevented the cruelty that inflict was inflicted on her and all her sisters and, and brothers because stud dogs have a hard time too. So um, it's a grassroots campaign and it was, it was led by myself, which I will always be incredibly proud of, but it really was five people, including Lisa and, and, uh, and Linda and Sue from Carriad and Julia uh, in Folkestone and Sheff uh, Philippa in Sheffield, who sadly passed away. And we just, didn't stop we kept on fighting we never gave up on the dogs and we used all the resources we had which were petitions and meeting mps and social media uh, and we took on the big the big guys and, and this sort of fortress of power and we and we won and um, it took 10 years it's an amazing legacy isn't it really as well for lucy yeah. and obviously it was a real labor of love for you like you say it was a decade-long fight you came up with all this opposition but clearly you never ever felt like giving up or anything I like that you just kept going I have a weird background because my dad, who passed away five years ago, was in advertising. So I always grew in the creative side of advertising. So I've always grown up with branding and creativity and kind of use of your imagination to reach a lot of people, which I guess is advertising campaigning in a nutshell. You, you, you come up with a message. You want as many people to engage with that message and then to act. And in, I guess in advertising, it's to buy that product. Um, unbelievably parliamentary campaigning is so similar it's just the end product is you want people to sign a petition or to reach out to their mp my other side of my background which is the biggest influence is my grandma who escaped the holocaust when she was 17 so she came home from school her parents had been taken to auschwitz um she was she heard about the kinder transport which was the the rescue mission uh, for 10,000 kids coming out of Germany. But she went to the station to join the kinder transport and she was a year too old. So they said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't come on. And she was being rounded up. So she ducked under the barriers, ran to a fancy dress shop. This was in Leipzig, in then East Germany, bought a um, nurse's uniform, came back to the station and pretended to be a Red Cross nurse saving those children. And that's how Gosh. she got out. So she taught me, and then she, she was the only kid in, of 10,000 that arrived in the UK, uh, not just without anyone waiting for her, without any paperwork, but also had gone from being hated in Germany for being Jewish to being hated in England for being a young German adult who we were at war with. So she taught, she only, she passed away sadly uh, six weeks ago, uh, but she, over a hundred years old, um, but she, um, she taught me that anything's possible and to never give up. So I had a very strange, and my mum was an animal lover, so I can't leave her out. But my, my point is, <laughs> I'm a very straight, as a cocktail, if you like, I have a very strange mix of sort of survival, uh, creativity, and the sort of the science and the animally stuff as well, um, which is, you know, which is, which has been phenomenal uh, and helpful with my animal welfare campaigning. What a remarkable family. <laughs> yeah, a tiny family, but yeah, we, uh, we have some good things about us, I guess. I always tend to judge 
this might seem quite odd, I don't know, but I always, when I, when I want to go into a restaurant, I, have, I always have a look upstairs first to see the colour of the net curtains, if you know what I mean, and to see, I think, if they can be asked by, you know, cleaning the windows, I'm sure I can go inside, do you know what I mean? I think if, if part of it is a bit suspect, like, why am I going to go in and, like, have food? And I'm, I'm thinking the same of maybe puppy farms in a way. So when Karen and I were, were both looking for, for dogs, I would phone some people and I'd say, can I see the mum and dad with them? And they'd go, oh, sorry. It's with my brother, you see. He's having a back operation. I had that. I had, oh, I'm sorry, but I'm working from, not from home this week. And it seemed like really, really reputable people. Do you know what I mean? And, and it was hard because you've fallen in love with an advert. I'm wondering how you can ever be totally sure if there's such a thing or do you need to be just as sure as, as you can be like like karen for example she she's got a spring spaniel called suggs and even traced suggs's siblings and she got to know the breeder and i went to brin's my brin i've got a cockapoo i went i went to see his mother and father how you could have ate off the floor you know so I, I walk in and it's spotless but how how do you really know it's a brilliant question again i think it's everything's down to research um, you should never be in that much of a hurry to get a dog or any animal or anything that you can't actually spend the right amount of time researching. Um, so that would be my first major uh, point. The second is always to see the puppy interacting with its mum. We had this huge problem from, from the right at the start of lockdown, <laughs> which, which was really bad timing because Lucy's Law came in in April and lockdown really started in sort of March, April, where the delivery of puppies was normalised and legal and okay. So all of a sudden we fought 10 years for this legislation which had this big fanfare of uh, arrival and then of course that dogs, uh, puppies could be delivered so you couldn't see the mum. And that was thought, uh, that was brought in really for human to human COVID transmission. So it was thought that there's less chance of human to human COVID transmission if a, a breeder sort of sends a puppy and a courier to their new family than a family or a couple go and get the dog. So that was the thought behind that. Very frustrating for us campaigners. And um, it just all of a sudden meant that breeders were, weren't accountable as they should have been. Um, but now that's gone back to normal, so we're okay. Um, so you have to visit the, the place where the dog is bred. You have to see the puppy interacting with its mum and if possible, its litter mates. Any excuse, like you've just said, any excuse that the mum isn't there is an immediate red flag and possibly an illegal sale. So it's, it's very easy to tell people, oh, just walk away. But people don't walk away if they're animal lovers. Yeah, they want to yeah. rescue the dog from that situation, right. which is okay, I think, because who knows what's going to happen to that dog otherwise. What I would say is, if you're going to walk away with the animal, take as much evidence as possible in terms of pictures, screen grabs of adverts, because if there's a problem with that puppy and you need to investigate and possibly prosecute, you need as much evidence as possible. And there's people waiting uh, and, and have been doing since quite successfully for, for people to, for breeders and sellers to be prosecuted. Now the licensing system is also quite interesting because three litres a year or making a th over a thousand pounds a year, um, you need to be licensed. So this is really important. And a lot of prosecutions are happening now because people are breeding or um, people are breeding maybe more than three times a year. And a thousand pounds a year is like a puppy's leg at the moment, you know? Well, so, well, mine, mine was two and a half. Basically anyone not giving puppies away 
uh, also yeah. needs to be licensed, which is another layer of accountability, licensed with the local council, that, you, that will help in any form of prosecution as well. So there's a lot we can research. Obviously, Google phone numbers, see if past litters comes up, come up. Call the Kennel Club if they're Kennel Club registered, make sure that's correct. Speak to people, look at online reviews. Um, your, your gut reaction, you know, they should be asking you as many questions as you should be asking them. Obviously, they shouldn't be saying meet in a motorway service station or anywhere more convenient. Um, there's so much we can do. And, um, but the problem is, as you say, you see a pair of eyes online, which is yeah, probably not the course. dog anyway. And you get sucked in because this releases oxytocin and we just want to nurture. Um, yeah. so, so take your time. Consider rescue always. Always consider rescue. Um, I'd say consider rescue first because there's even puppies in rescue that people don't realise. They're either abandoned into rescue or um, dogs will give birth, you know, in, they'll whelp into rescue and have puppies there. So always contact your local rescue shelter first and then start your research. And, and be, aware, be aware because obviously the Kennel Club uh, is pedigree dogs. But because of this now massive uh, demand for cavachons and cavapuchons and doodles and schmoodles, they haven't got that sort of kennel club regulatory body over them. Um, so you can't sort of check if they're registered anywhere. So just be even more careful with those. All dogs should have health certification, vaccines, mm. microchip details, uh, and beware of pet theft at the moment as well. And dogs that have been stolen and are, and are sold on, um, which all boils down to research again. Hey, Karen. Have you ever been hungry? Hungry? What do you mean by hungry? You know, when you're so hungry you become a little bit tired and teasy or a little bit hungry. Well, I do love my food, so I suppose I have, Han, actually. But it's because, isn't it, sometimes you just need good mood food, which has got to be the same for dogs. Our podcast pals, Pucha Mutt, have created an enhanced series of natural meals, treats and saps. They use hypoallergenic recipes that are approved by vets to give you peace of mind that you're doing right by them at mealtimes and those special times in between. The recipes, car are also tailored by age. It sounds like our dogs are being better fed than us, to be honest with you. My puppy Suggs can sometimes feel anxious. Is there anything they've got that can help him? Yeah, the Calm and Relax range, which is their best seller, and dog owners rave about it. It's been formulated for dogs like your boy, who can be a little bit anxious. Amazing. Where can I find out more about Pooch and Mutt? Visit them at poochandmutt.co.uk. And for our podcast pals, there's a 25% discount across the website. All you've got to do is insert the code podcast pooch and mutt the health food company for dogs i want to talk to you about what what's next really for you mark because is it greyhound racing that you want to get that banned is that your next mission in terms of what's under the banner of next mission <laughs> there is a list <laughs> um, oh all right give us a list what have you got time as part of the sort of all-party parliamentary group for dog welfare, which I'm the secretariat co-founder of, and these are this is a cross-party uh, group in Westminster, and we have in the in the last in the last lockdown we've had meetings on brachycephalic dogs, uh, which are the flat-faced dogs like Frenchies and pugs. We've had meetings on the pandemic puppy situation. Uh, we've had meetings on all sorts of sort of canine welfare issues. So I'm now blessing and a curse 
I'm now kind of overseeing a lot of other campaigns, giving advice because I've done it. Um, and I find it very difficult to say no and people ask me to help animals in any way. So I'm, I'm happy to help other campaigns, one of them being the campaign to ban greyhound racing. And I, I love greyhounds. I love dogs, obviously. Um, and I hate animal exploitation with a passion. And I think uh, greyhounds are exploited for many reasons on many levels. Um, a lot of people think that greyhound racing only happens in stadia with people attending. So evening meetings, stag do's, um, Christmas parties. But it's untrue. So greyhound racing happens in every stadium every day from pretty much 8am till 10pm behind closed doors. Not just in lockdown, but all the time. It's called bags racing. And what that is, is it's streamed online to Russia, to China, all around the world for gambling. So greyhound racing isn't something that just happens every now and then for a bit of a laugh just to get the beers in. It's a massive, massive exploitative industry that only serves gambling. And when people say, oh, they love to run, well, yeah, but so do humans, but we don't bet on them all the time. So um, it's, it's, it's a huge passion of mine um, to hopefully see that probably fa phased out gradually. I don't think you'll ever ban it overnight because that would lead to a massive abandonment of dogs, which would probably get euthanized. It's always the dogs that suffer. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with regard to that. Um, other campaigns, pet theft reform uh, is a campaign that I'm involved with. I don't lead it, but I'm very happy to be proud to be involved with it. Um, there's the banning of the import of dogs with cropped ears. So Dobermans that are sort of made to look more fierce. Um, and to be honest with you, you've, you've chosen a really good time for this podcast because only two weeks ago, the Queen's speech mentioned animal welfare and off the back of the Queen's speech was this 20 page document that the government released, which is the action for animals document, which I, I recommend people, animal lovers uh, download. It's on the government website and it's the, it's the proposed agenda, what the government plans to do for the next year in terms of legislation, primary and secondary. Um, and it's not just about pets. It's about farm animals. It's about uh, animals abroad. It's about sentience. And there's a lot of stuff um, in there. The point I want to make with that is it's at the moment a 20 page document with a lot of lovely words on it and some nice pictures, but nothing happens unless campaigners and charities and committed animal lovers keep holding the government to account and make sure that they fulfill these promises and commitments. Otherwise it's just, a, it's a really easy PR exercise. So my job, if you like, although it's not a job, uh, my role, is again to oversee other campaigns and to make sure uh, these these lovely promises and and, uh, and commitments that are in this document actually happen. And, and one of the campaigns I ran last year um, was to ban the import of young puppies coming in from overseas puppy farms, which was still legal. Um, and that's in the document as something that looks like it's going to happen. So the minimum age of importing puppies is hopefully going to be raised from 15 weeks which is what it is now to uh, 26 weeks which is six months significance of that being at six months old the secondary teeth the adult teeth the permanent teeth have come through it's the only thing only feature on a puppy that can't be falsified uh, so classically in the past with puppies being imported and illegal puppy smuggling passports paperwork 
even microchips can be falsified because you can actually sort of either superglue them to the skin or the inside of the collar. Uh, we've never had visual checks before. Um, so post-Brexit, mandatory visual checks at borders means that the teeth will mean that enforcement can actually happen because you can't falsify the teeth. Um, and also it means that they'll be old enough to have two jabs for their rabies protection rather than just the one at 15 weeks, which means as a country, we are protected, not just humans, but also other animals. Uh, and the other thing is with illegal puppy smuggling, you won't be able to smuggle in a puppy which is under six months because it will be detectable and investigated um, because of its teeth. And of course, overarching all this is that there's no market for puppies that are six months old, so they wouldn't even come here in the first place. So that's, that's huge. And I hear that it's going to be implemented sooner rather than later. Um, and that'll be, a, again, a massive boost to canine welfare in the UK and beyond. Um, so it never ends. And we have to, one of my favorite expressions is you have to keep these, uh, the politicians' uh, feet to the flames which is like holding them to account. Um, it's quite visual. Um, but that's, I found myself in this role now as a campaigning vet to, who's fortunate to have unbelievable links to, to Westminster. I mean, for someone that didn't know anything about campaigning or politics in 2013, to now having sourced the Prime Minister's rescue dog, Dylan, um, and, and everything that went in between, um, changing like five laws, etc. I feel unbelievably privileged and well positioned now to make sure a lot of this stuff does happen um, for the animals. And um, yeah, as I say, it's, it's a huge privilege. And I guess my other news for you guys is um, I'm about to write a book, another book. And one of my favorite ever quotes is, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. It's a Dalai Lama quote. And it just shows that anyone can make a difference. So I'm going to write a book and it's already been agreed to be published again by Mirror Books, uh, which I'm very excited about. And it's going to be basically a handbook of how to campaign. So it's going to be called Be More Mosquito, How to Change the World for Free. And every chapter is going to be something that we all have access to that's completely free, that can either change the world in um, raising awareness, in altering people's behavior, or actually changing legislation, or all three. And it goes, it'll go from the simplest things that we can do, like sitting on the loo, retweeting something, to full on leading a campaign to change the law, not just for animals, across the sector. So protecting the most vulnerable, the elderly, children, the voiceless. So I'm keen to share what I've learned the hard way, um, put it down on paper, and then and, and try and influence this sort of blame culture, finger pointing, moaning, let someone else do it with actually I have a response, a social responsibility, if you like, to do something myself and actually help make progress, join other campaigns or start my own and actually be part of the solution rather than this sort of negative narrative that, that people seem to be more engaged with because it's, I guess it's easier. I want to, I want to just show people that there's, there's, there's free tools out there, if you like, that we can all engage in uh, that will help make the world a better place, not just for us, but for the most vulnerable like animals and there'll be how to do it and there'll be case studies of how we used it so no one can go oh you're just saying that it, it's all tried and tested uh, but hopefully it'll make a, a little difference and, and people will then will have the tools available to make the world a better place
That sounds like a really important read then, Mark, for all of us, something really worthwhile. You mentioned just now Boris Johnson. Please, can you just tell us a little bit more about how you got his rescue dog for him? <laughs> yeah, um, well, him and Carrie, his fiance. So there was a rumour going around Downing Street that they were looking for a rescue dog. And I knew Carrie from campaigning. She's a phenomenal campaigner. I think her main... Her main um, sector is sort of marine conservation but you know just a brilliant campaigner so we, we'd often be at similar events so we followed each other on twitter and she was very supportive of the lucy's law campaign and anyway so this rumor was going around downing street they were looking for a, a rescue dog and i just thought and i remember obama when he got his dogs they were gifted to him but they were puppies and they were pedigree and i remember thinking what a missed opportunity um and anyway so i i contacted carrie and she said um I'm interested to hear what your view on this. Come to Downing Street tomorrow and I'll pick you up and you can come up to the flat. The flat, obviously, being in the news um, quite a lot recently. So I went up, I went to Downing Street, she picked me up and went to the flat and we had a chat. And um, basically, I, I said, you know, yes, obviously, get a rescue dog. And Carrie's always had rescue dogs. Um, but I said, you know, you can, you can get not kind of more than a rescue dog, you can get one that's a, a product of the third party puppy trade. You can get one that was going to be drowned. You can get one that, you know, can help publicise Lucy's Law. You can help publicise the fact that you can get puppies in rescue. You know, there's so many sort of add-ons you can get to, it sounds awful to say that like, just a rescue dog, but so many, this can be a vehicle for education, raising awareness uh, on, on many levels. So I put her in touch with an amazing lady called Eileen Jones, who runs a charity called um, Friends of Animals Wales. And they only deal in other breeding dogs that are going to be destroyed, usually shot when they become infertile from puppy farms uh, or uh, puppies that are going to be uh, drowned because they've got problems um, and they're unsellable. So Dylan, which is uh, obviously what, what um, the prime minister and his fiance ended up adopting, had an un has an undershot jaw. So he wasn't going to be sold. So he was destined to be drowned. And um so I put, I put uh, Eileen in touch with Carrie, chat, 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 chat. And then 10 days later, I'm on the beach in, in Spain with a load of mates getting drunk and my mobile rings. And, uh, and this, I didn't, I didn't recognize the number, obviously, as you're about to find out why. Um, and normally I'd ignore those calls, but I was a bit drunk on the beach and I just thought, oh, I'll answer it. And this voice went, hello. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, I recognise that voice. Hello, I recognise like, that Mark. instantly. And I was like, Yep, because it's Boris here. I'm with Carrie, and we've decided on Dylan. How can we make it happen? And we chat, 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 and I obviously put him on speakerphone, and everyone was like, What's going on? Um, and he said, I'm terribly, you know. I said, Are you on holiday? I said, Yeah, I'm in Spain. I'm terribly sorry to interrupt your holiday. And I said, It's Prime Minister. You can call me whenever you like. Um, and anyway, we made it happen, and we. we we got Dylan to 10 Downing Street and he's become a massive success. I don't think Larry the cat likes him at all. I think they, but he lives sort of in number 11 in the flat. Um, Larry's more number 10. Um, and yeah, just incredible how, as I say, from going from zero, you know, political knowledge or campaigning knowledge or law to having the garden party at number 10, after the garden party, I gave a speech from the steps of number 10 to everyone who just came out from the garden party um, to sourcing, you know, rescue dog Dylan for, for the prime minister. It's, 
you know, to, to now, be, as I said, being secretariat and co-founder of an all-party parliamentary group. It was an incredibly steep learning curve. But again, I encourage people to do it or to, to, to do some of that journey because we can all moan about stuff, but un, until you are part of the solution, you know, which you can be, you know, you, you, can, you don't need an education in, in politics and law. You can just follow what you think is right, be on the right side of history, uh, whatever expression you want to choose. But the, the, we can all do something uh, to improve the surroundings that we live in now and, and for the future. And I can't emphasize enough uh, how amazing the journey has been for me personally. It's tough. I mean, it's, you know, 98% has been horrible in terms of stressful and, and lonely you know, campaigning isn't, you know, you get a few scraps from the table, as I call it, like, you know, hanging out in number 10 or um, having a drink with Ricky Gervais or, you know, meeting Brian May and seeing his little wildlife sanctuary. So there's some amazing things that have happened because of it. Um, but I can't emphasize enough how people should try and get involved somehow, some way in the limited capacity they possibly can resource wise. And the main resource is really time. Um, but we all have, a, I think, a social duty to do something constructive to help improve the world. And campaigning is definitely one of those things. And there's many ways to do it. To be more mosquito. Well, to be more mosquito. <laughs> you've definitely inspired us anyway, Mark. So, uh, yeah, brilliant stuff. Thank you so much for today. Yeah, brilliant stuff you said there, Mark, honestly. Yeah. Before you go, though, Mark, when, when are you working on the book and when can we expect that to be published? Um, so that's a very good question. I'm going to start in the next few weeks. Uh, I've already written the chapter plan and I've actually written a rough chapter. Um, but it's meant to be coming out in the spring of 2022. Um, so a few months down the line. And yeah, I look forward to sort of sharing what I've learned with, with everyone who's interested. And I don't know, people, people um, I think will enjoy it and realise that this stuff is actually accessible, it is free, and it's very easy to use. And why not help make the world a better place? Because, um, well, yeah, why wouldn't you? Fetch, Chase, Eat, Sleep, Repeat. Brought to you by Pucha Mutt, the health food company for dogs. got time for on fetch chase eat sleep repeat sadly this week but we'll be back next week with a new episode chronicling the new journey of the new puppies in our lives you'll hear more top tips from our lovely guests if you want to get in touch with your own bits of top paternity advice like the really useful stuff like getting dog hair off a black jumper you can email us on laudable at reachplc.com or find laudable podcasts on social media fetch chase eat sleep repeat is a team dogs podcast and a laudable production presented by me hannah jones and me karen price it was produced by daniel j mclaughlin it's available on all major podcasting platforms including spotify and apple See you next time.